Welcome to the Flying Baton, the magical land of beginning band. Coming to you from the beautiful Shenandoah Valley of Virginia, your host, Charlie Nesmith. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Flying Baton Podcast. Today, we have a super exciting part two interview with Taya Stockman, who's one of the researchers who's been working on the aerosol study at the University of Colorado Boulder. Just a few notes before we get started. Number one, uh, about halfway through the interview, we had a little bit of connection issues, so I will video edit most of our troubleshooting out, but if it gets a little choppy there, uh, that's why. We eventually had to disable her video so the audio could come through clear, so we'll replace her in the video with a profile picture instead. And secondly, back in March, we released a how-to video on how to produce your own virtual performance video with your students. However, if you don't want to put in that work yourself and you'd rather just hire someone to do it, you can head over to virtualperformance.net. They'll hook you up with everything you need, and they'll do all of the hard work, video, and audio editing for you. So check that out, virtualperformance.net. Let's get started. All right, everybody, we are welcoming back Taya Stockman onto the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me again. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I saw that uh, you guys had released the second part of the study. Um, and I had opened up Facebook for some questions for people that wanted to ask um, about some of the finer details of how the data was gathered. Um, and if, if we could just walk through a few slides of the PDF um, that was released, and um, I could just kind of ask you questions as we go. Does that sound good? It sounds good to me. All right, awesome. So um, I'm really excited that you guys got to measure the oboe, um, but it, and it appeared that it released more aerosol than the other instruments. Is that accurate? Mm-hmm. So that's what it appeared to us as well. Um, One thing to note is that we had the oboe player come back and he played the clarinet and the flute and he did not produce more aerosols than average when he played the other instruments. (laughs) So it seems like the oboe just produces more potentially. Um, One thing to note is that the oboe has a more directional flow, which might be easy to capture. Did you guys test um, measuring close to the, the mouth or was it strictly done where the bell is? We measured this one strictly where the bell was, um, just because it's hard to test everywhere when I'm with people. Mm-hmm. So we had near the keys and near the bell, but not near the mouth. Gotcha. Well, and it looks like the uh, the bell cover um, just did a really, really superb job of cutting things down there. And, and we saw that with pretty much all the instruments. Yes. So right now what we're doing is testing different materials of bell covers further, because we have also seen that certain bell covers that are too stretchy and stretch too thin don't very do very much. So we're trying to make a recommendation of something that's both breathable, but also stops aerosols. Yeah, I've had uh, a band parent actually make a whole bunch of bell covers and bring them in. Um, but they were all made of like this very stretchy nylon stuff. Um, and they had this like, mm-hmm. pattern on it. It looked really, it looked gorgeous. But I was like, I don't know uh, if that's like the best of blocking air. I don't really know what the material is that they made it out of, you know? Yeah. One nice thing about something stretchy is when it goes over something that's not stretchy, it helps fill in the cracks and like really make a tight seal around the edge of the instrument. So we're still trying to, in the next couple of weeks, test different materials of bell covers and combinations of materials to make a better recommendation for what people should be using. But just one of those stretch, like a thin piece of stretchy material is not very good because the holes right when you stretch it, it gets huge so and you mentioned that the, the oboe player had um some difficulty playing with a face mask on yes so what we're trying to think about how to do is create a potentially cloth face mask with a structure inside of it so the oboe player can play 
But when we had just the surgical mask with the slit, it was very difficult to play because that mask kept falling over his lip and hitting the reed. So it wasn't vibrating properly. Um, so we don't think that oboe players should not wear masks. We think that wearing a normal mask with a, like a tiny slit, like other instruments, is not going to work. There needs to be a different structure to the mask. Okay. Well, actually, since we bring it up, let me scroll down to this guy. Okay. I spent uh, entirely too much time looking uh, at this chart right here. Um, and I have some questions. So at the, on the bottom, you have your control. So that's nothing. Mm-hmm. And you have mask and then you have bell cover. Did you measure the mask and the bell cover simultaneously for any of this? Unfortunately, we can't measure any of these things simultaneously. Um, just because we only have, so all of these pieces of equipment are really expensive and we only have one of them of each of them. So we can't measure things simultaneously, which is why it takes so long for us to do each of these different tests in different locations, because it requires the musicians to do everything all over again. Mm. So it's not as easy as just having stuff here, here, and here and sampling everywhere. That'd be awesome, but we don't have that capability. So instead we have to have them play and then play again and probe from somewhere else and play again and probe from somewhere else. So then you're looking at a test that if you're able to do multiple locations at once, it would only take 10 minutes. But because we don't have those capabilities, it takes us an hour or more. The, uh, when, when they were wearing the face mask, um, I'm assuming it, uh, the aerosols were not being measured at the bell of the instrument, but they were being measured closer to the face. Is that what you're saying? So um, it was, this is, again, really hard to make a judgment call of where to do it for some of the instruments. The mask was put, had the mask on, and I was also probing at the mouthpiece. So what I did was there was specifically probe at the mouthpiece before and after. But for some places, I couldn't do, I can't do everything. So it was hard to do everything there. For instance, like one of the brass instruments that came in later, we played, we had him play at the mouthpiece and then again with uh, the mask on. Gotcha. Yeah, the reason why I ask is um, take... Uh... Let's see, uh, French horn, for example. Um, so we have the the control, and then mm-hmm. it looks like them wearing the mask and them having the bell. It uh, looks like a bell mute was mused. Uh, it, it looks like it decreased the same amount. But I guess, like in my mind, I was like, well, if they're wearing a face mask, would, would that would that affect how much is coming out of the bell? So that I don't think that it would really. Um, one thing with the mute. So these are also averages over a time span, and it doesn't take into account normalizing for the amount of CO2 in the breath, which we're doing some calculations later to really get a better understanding of how many particles per unit of breath all of these instruments are producing, which will give us a better understanding of all of these measurements. So these are very preliminary uh, statistics right now, and we want to fine tune them. The trumpet here, did something weird happen with the, the mask method that it seemed to produce much more than not having a mask on? So that was one of the instruments that be, it's also hard to communicate with the musicians when I'm testing them. We're going to have the trumpet player come back in and specifically test near his mouth and then with the, the mask on near his mouth again. Um, but he, that was at the bell. And it was at a time when he was also getting more tired. So he the uh, especially the higher notes that he was sustaining longer were more difficult. 
So that could also relate to having more aerosols. And he wasn't able to empty out his spit valve as much as he would probably normally during the test. Okay. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. Okay. And then the control method background, is that just them sitting in the room? Um, yes. So one, so the room fluctuates with aerosols all the time, which is why we have the background um, for each of them. You can see that the backgrounds are not different, right? They're different sizes. So that's another thing for future analysis. We're basically going to be subtracting out that background to get a difference between the background and what's being produced. Well, let's talk about the flute for a second, because, um, you know, I think a lot of a lot of band directors and, and you know, even some online publications, you know, were like, oh, well, everything's going to be fine except flute. Like if you're anywhere near the flute player, everyone's going to get sick. And, and there's a lot of like alarms raised. And from here, it looks it looks pretty darn low. Yeah. And we've had two more flute players come into the lab. And one issue with the flute player was getting them to be positioned properly. But even when I set up a system with the flute player so he would not be moving as much, there still was not much. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And uh, the wind, um, is that like a like a face shield type thing? It, it, it blocks, so it allows flutes to, flute players to play in marching band in higher wind situations. Um, so yeah, it covers like where the, the mouth is. But you can see that it looks slightly higher, but again, it's it, that all looks like noise to me, right? The background is also about the same order of magnitude. So I would say that even with the flute, we probe near the mouth and near the end. Mm-hmm. And there it still seemed like there wasn't that much coming out of the flute compared to what was just already in the background. Yeah. Well, and the, I noticed that the saxophone looked really, really low as well. Um, do we have any idea so, what it is compared to the clarinet, which is a similar instrument? So that saxophone data has not been updated um, to reflect. We had another saxophone player come into the lab and we changed our method of measuring between when we did the saxophone and all the other instruments. Okay. So that saxophone will be updated and will increase. Okay. <laughs> not significantly, but it looks more on par with the other instruments. Not like the oboe, but, and not like the clarinet. Like it's still lower than those, but it's more than the flute. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so one of the things that I was looking at uh, this week is uh, there was some study that somebody sent to me about different mask materials and mm-hmm. how much they stop or don't stop in some cases um, the droplets coming out of the mouth. Like I saw that those neck mm-hmm. gear where they said it actually increased the amount of droplets compared to not wearing anything at all. So I think when looking at those, you can definitely see that some materials like surgical mask and N95 masks work much better than other materials. And what we're also trying to do with this study is what materials offer that balance of, you know, breathability, um, but also stopping the aerosols. And I think that that study did a really good job, but, you know, you can actually see the particles coming out of the mouth. Um, I guess one nice thing is that we're not looking at someone sneezing or someone coughing, right? Instruments won't produce as much larger particles as sneezing and coughing. Yeah. And uh, could you uh, explain the difference between what you would consider a surgical mask versus an N95 mask? So an N95 mask is certified to be uh, at the the lowest um, filtration efficiency of a certain range of particles to be 95% efficient. Um, 
And you have to make sure that you're looking at N95 masks that do not have the little square valves on it because those don't actually protect anyone from you. They just protect you from other people. Um, and then a surgical mask would be those ones that you would see like in your the dentist's office them using. So it's those, they're often like a blue and white color strapped behind the ears, very breathable. Um, often those have a decent efficiency as well. Not as high as N95, but more so than a lot of other materials people are using. And they're considered more breathable than like a lot of pieces of fabric people are using to um, like the cloth masks, right? Like if you have a, if you're wearing a cotton and fleece mask all day, like you can kind of feel it. Well, as if you wear a surgical mask, it doesn't feel as heavy on your face. Mm. So that's why we're looking at these different materials to see are the materials that are more breathable that work very well. So like, the surgical mask, I was doing some some testing last week and like I made a bell cover for my clarinet out of a surgical mask and it seems to work wonders. Oh, wow. And so. I, the data that was measured in that PDF, um, we're using surgical masks for all of the, um, we're using like a standard standardized mask for, for when the instrumentalists were wearing one. Um, we did not have a standardized mask at that time because we were still trying to figure out what materials we should be focusing hmm. on. And going forward, what we're doing is a test of, one person playing, um, potentially bringing the oboe player back in, um, me and my clarinet, like you know, instruments that we know produce a lot of aerosols to see what that production looks like with and without the masks on. And then also measuring, we have a device in our lab so we can measure the pressure drop across those materials, which is basically like, you know, how hard is it to breathe through them? So then we can give an understanding of how breathable is it compared to how effective is it? And then we can recommend something based on both breathability, which musicians really care about, and trapping aerosols, which everyone cares about from not spreading um, any diseases. Yeah, so... Um, so go ahead. That's something to look forward to. Yeah, so um, we mentioned last time that um, you guys are strictly looking at the aerosols, but not necessarily virus transmission. Um, is there someone doing a study on that that you know of that has released results or will possibly release them soon about the specific communicability of the virus through aerosols? I have not seen any specific study on that. Um, one thing might be that people who are sick produce overall more aerosols than people who are not sick. Um, but we don't have the setup in our lab or the safety precautions to do any of that sort of testing. And I'm not sure who is doing that testing at the moment. Um, so I, I can't answer that specific question. Okay. And I think I saw in one, uh, I think that same PDF that the virus has been detected in droplets up to, what is it? 0.1 microns. So now I guess I would be yeah down to 0.1 microns and then up to really as large as you can spit. <laughs> um, but a lot of those, right. When you, you, when you spit or like, you know, exhale, those droplets will evaporate in the air and become tinier and then they can potentially linger around longer. So that's what we're nervous about, especially with as the droplets that come out in instruments. You said that you guys are going to be doing some more testing on different types of materials. Do you have yeah. uh, any idea when yeah. that might be ready for public viewing? Um, we're not, I'm not sure yet. So. I'm taking a little bit of a break and school is starting soon. So things might, and the lab might slow down a little bit. As I'm sure all of you guys know with school starting, like you have to get in a little bit of a different mode, but 
we're still prioritizing getting out stuff as quickly as possible. So in the next few weeks. That's awesome. Well, and a lot of school systems are now delaying their openings. Um, like a lot mm-hmm. of the schools around here were supposed to be open already. And some of them have pushed back to mid-September just to give more time and, and see what data comes out and also what, so, what happens to some of these other schools that do open. I noticed in there, uh, it, it had recommended having like a 30 minute, uh, 30 minute limit in a space or in a room and then mm-hmm. figuring out for one air exchange. Um, how do you quantify an air exchange? So an air exchange is the time it takes for, so it's often measured in ACH, which is air changes per hour. So that's like from behind me, how much time does it take for all of the air in this room to be moved out of the room and replaced with fresh air? So that doesn't happen, you know, all at once it happens, you know, like there's, I have doors in my room and air comes through the doors, it comes through the windows and it comes into the room and goes out of the room. So that's really like, how long does it take for that to happen? When you have a mechanical ventilation system, like a lot of schools have, you can actually measure this or get that uh, from the facilities of the school. They should have some idea of what the flow rates are going into the rooms and how oh, how often the air changes in a room. Okay, so this is something that might be printed on the unit or they may have like in a manual somewhere. So yeah, it won't be printed on any unit, but... It would be something that could be calculated based on the systems that they have, the mechanical ventilation systems that they have, or the, the windows that they have, and how long that would take to empty out the air. So it would definitely be a conversation with the facilities of your institutions. Okay. Oh, yeah. So I guess that makes sense. Yeah. One unit could be serving several different rooms and several different sized rooms. Yeah. So like when we're recommending, let's say, HEPA filters for a room, you really have to look at the size of the HEPA filter and have certain space, right? Like a small HEPA filter that fits on a desk is not going to be as effective in an auditorium as it is in a small office, or let's say like a chamber where students go and practice. So it's really looking at the size of that device and comparing it to the room volume that you need to do. Okay. So what's the difference between a HEPA filter and like, I guess, a normal filter? So a HEPA filter, most, so I would not really trust most air filters unless they're HEPA filters just because they have to be rated to a certain standard. And there's a lot of, I've seen a lot of commercials on my YouTube videos when I watch them or anywhere else that shows like, oh, this is a like an awesome new air filter that uses a different type of technology. And when I look into it more, when they're actually compared to HEPA filters, they're not nearly as good. Mm. HEPA filters are basically a It's a filter that has a fabric inside that's really, really good at um, trapping aerosols. So um, they're off, there's like electrostatic properties to them and just how the filtration fabric works. It's really, it works really, really well. It's kind of like having an N95 mask that the air goes through your room, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like they're really efficient, even actually even more efficient than an N95 mask would be. But so, and then it has a, what it does is it has a fan that pulls air into this filter and then releases clean air into the room. So if you have a low air change rate in your room, right, let's say that you're basically in a closet, let's say like a, where a lot of these students are practicing in their practice rooms, there's not very much ventilation to the outside. If you have a HEPA filter, you can increase that air change rate because now you're taking air that might have virus or other particles in it and you're trapping it in the filter and then releasing clean air into the room. Um, all right, so we have some questions from Facebook. 
Uh, and these are no particular uh, order. So Betty asks, what are the levels of the musicians that were tested so far? Like their, um, I guess their skill level, amateur, high school, college, professional. So I'd say almost all of them have been um, master students or like doc- like masters and doctoral students in college, or I think we had one student who was a senior in college um, and then me. So that's like a, like a high school student who hasn't practiced in a while. <laughs> so mostly um, older, like adults, like younger adults, but older than children. And that's mostly a stipulation of it's, there's a lot more hoops to jump through when you're doing research with kids. Mm. Um, so we don't have kids in the lab just because that would require a lot more um, protocols in place that we don't have. When we tested the recorder, that was me playing the recorder, uh, not a little kid playing it. Okay. All right. Well, uh, Jared asked, um, how much are masks recommended for outdoor playing? Are they, are they, and are they still necessary um, if the kids can be more than six feet away from each other? Um, so I don't want to make be the person that says what should be recommended and not that you should always go back to the document for that just because we, we want to bring out, say, consistent message. Mm-hmm. I'd say overall, wearing masks is better than not wearing masks. However, being outside definitely reduces your risk. So if you're, let's say, really far apart, masks may not be as necessary, um, but it's always much more safe to like wear masks and cover up. Especially, let's say, you're you know playing and then someone just starts having a coughing fit or sneezing fit. Like That's much more dangerous than potentially even playing your instrument. So it's just always better to be cautious. Yeah, totally. All right, well, Jared also asks, for choir class specifically, should the kids have a separate mask just for choir class? Or should they use the same mask that they've worn all day? Um, I think that's more of a comfort thing. I could see a mask, especially when you're singing a lot, getting much more, like you're, right, you're, it's going to get more condensation around your face. And I could see that not being very pleasant for the rest of the day. And students maybe not wanting to wear their mask all the time after that. So I'd say having a, a change of mask is always like a good thing to have for students, especially like just feeling comfortable. I think how I, how I read into that is, is maybe uh, he thinks that the mask will get, if it's, if it's saturated at a certain point, it might be less effective. Is that true or does that not matter as much? So um, I think it definitely depends on the material the mask is made out of. One thing that I'll, so at least the research that I've seen testing masks, we're not following this protocol, but a lot of people are. They're like the N95 masks are tested this way. They put it in a like a kind of body temperature, humid environment for eight hours, like you're, you know, six to eight hours, like you're doing, like wearing it for the whole day. And then they do the test to see if it's still effective, um, which the another researcher in my lab has been doing with, let's say, like a bandana and other things. So it could definitely be the case. I'd say, you know, for your own comfort, you might as well have multiple masks, but also like if effectivity could go down, especially if you're wearing that mask, only one mask all the time, you know, maybe not the first day, but after a month of wearing something, you shouldn't be, you should probably be switching it up. All right. Uh, Monica asks, can the, uh, the water valves be emptied into trash cans if the trash cans have a medical bag liner or uh, like, or, or, you know, or some, some sort of special liner in the, in the trash bag, as opposed to having the puppy pads on the kid's legs. 
I, so I think that overall it does not have to be treated as hazardous waste. You know, it's very similar to like washing your hands in the bathroom and throwing away the paper towel. I think it's probably good to have like for the students to have, even if it's not a puppy pad, like some sort of towel that they can have with them at their seat. Um, because like the logistics of moving around the classroom also increases risk of them going to the same trash can to dump out all the time. It might just be better for them to have something that they can dispose of at the end of rehearsal. Yeah. I wouldn't say that they can't just go directly into it, but you're also, if everyone's doing that, then you could get spit on the rims and stuff. And it's just better to have something that you can just put into the trash. Yeah, for sure. And, and the way that, you know, most middle school kids at least empty that thing is they open the valve and they blow as hard as humanly possible. You know? Yeah, that should, <laughs> yeah. Not be doing it, that, right? They should be blowing. Definitely not. Trickle out. Yeah. Yeah. And then like, you know, if they have a, a designated space for it, that they can like, you know, tap on this piece of towel that they have or something Okay. compared to just like, yeah, blowing it onto the person next to them or onto the seat. Yeah. That makes total sense. All right. Well, I think that's all the questions uh, that I had really. I mean, you, you just answered so many questions last time and I, I really appreciate you uh, taking the time mm-hmm. to come onto the podcast and, and kind of tackle some of these questions for band directors. Do you have um anything else that you think would be good for the band directing community to know? Um, I think it's just important to know that, you know, we're just trying to keep people as safe as possible and we're still learning stuff every day. So we'll keep everyone updated as things are coming out. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. It's been a great conversation and I wish you the best of luck with school starting. Thank you. You guys too. Like, I hope everyone has a good school year. It's going to be hectic, but I think it'll hopefully be a good time. (laughs) My goal is that like by, by this time next year, that hopefully we'll all be like, oh, remember how we started last year and how crazy that was? Oh man, Whew. like I just hope it's like it's like old news by the time we get to you know August next year. <laughs> yeah, and everyone will just look back and be like, wow, that was a crazy time. Like, remember that one year? Hopefully not. Remember those five years? You know. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I'll let you get going. Thank you so much, and have a great rest of your day. Thank you. You too. Bye. Thanks for joining us on the Flying Baton. Remember, may your tone be dark and your humor light.